Welcome to the Orange County Catholic Radio Show. Each week, we bring you compelling conversation with church leaders and laity, talking about the things going on in our diocese and discussing the important issues that impact the world around us. We're coming to you from our studios on the campus of Christ Cathedral in Garden Grove, where Catholic faith is crystal clear. Here now to introduce our guest and today's topic is your host, Rick Howick. And welcome to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and with me today is our own very Reverend Christopher Smith. Father, welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio, one for which you have been very involved over the years. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Great to be here. And before we get started, before we do anything else, as we always do, would you please begin us with a brief word of Sure. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Loving and gracious God, we thank you this day. We thank you for our faith. We thank you for your loving presence in our lives. We ask you to be with us, to guide us, to inspire us, and let all that we do contribute to the building of your reign in our world. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And for those of you who are not aware, Father Christopher Smith is the rector for Christ Cathedral here as a parish and is in charge of all things having to do with the campus grounds and is in the process of transitioning. So, Father, let's first of all, let's talk for a moment about what that has meant over over time for a minute. I first met you about seven years ago when I first came in here and you were one of my first guests And we have been talking for the last seven years or so ever since about these grounds. Yeah, right. Exactly. How the transition has gone. We're almost, honestly, we're almost done with that transition. We'll never be fully done because this is a campus. Right. Of course, we'll continue to develop and grow. But you were appointed actually before even Bishop Van got here. Yes. You were appointed by, by Bishop Todd. I was. Tell us, what were your original marching orders? What did you think about what you were told you were going to do? And how has that turned out so far? Well, I had very interesting marching orders. Uh, the year was 2012, and it was March. I was the vicar for priests and the director of the ministry to priests office at the time. I was in the second year of my second term. And Bishop Brown came to my office one day, which was unusual. Okay, yes. And he said, uh, would you be interested in being the Episcopal vicar and rector of the new cathedral? Christ Cathedral didn't even have a name at the time. So I said, and these are the marching orders part, I said, well, what would that mean? He said, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) The bishop was honest. (laughs) He was honest, and nobody really knew because this was totally uncharted territory, that a diocese would buy a huge piece of property with the idea of of renovating an existing building into the cathedral and all the parts that went into it. And there were all sorts of moving parts, too. There were politics. There was... Bankruptcy issues, there was competing, and there were all sorts of garbage going on at the time, too. You had to ferret through everything. Yeah, and the, the bankruptcy things were the former occupants, the yeah, Christian Cathedral <laughs> Ministries. Yeah, and the, another huge part of this was we had to move an entire parish yeah. from its campus and just told you have to leave your parish site there you've been for 50 years, where yeah. they had built a church that was only 12 years old at the time. Oh, man. 
So we were moving a Catholic congregation onto the campus, the Crystal Cathedral Ministries off of the campus, figuring out where they would be. Well, they decided they wanted to rent the Catholic parish. (laughs) Kind of a switch went on for a while. Yes. So there were so many dynamics going on at the time. Okay. How integral were you in for those final stages of the actual working out of how the, the deal would finalize and then how it would transition. I didn't have anything to do with the deal itself. Uh, that happened in in November of 2011 when uh, the diocese was going to build a cathedral at the time. The diocese had purchased a piece of property. Sure. It was going to be called the Cathedral of Christ Our Savior. Now it's called Christ Our Savior Parish. Because at the same time, this Crystal Cathedral purchase came as a possibility. And so Dr. Schuler and his wife asked the judge if they would award the, he would, she would award the sale to the Diocese of Orange, even though Chapman University had made a bigger bid. And the judge said yes, if the diocese can come up with $2 million in 24 hours to kind of make the, the bid right, okay. which we were able to do. All of that and all of the negotiations, what was in the purchase agreements and uh, all those kind of things, I didn't work out. I had to implement them. Did you all ever work out with Chapman? Uh, <laughs> we're all we're all friends again now, or is that uh, still in the process? Well, I don't know how Chapman reacted to that, actually. <laughs> okay. I never asked. <laughs> okay. I would assume they weren't real happy, but I yeah. don't know either. I don't so, okay. know. I don't know. But we ended up with the, this beautiful yes. property. Yes. And this property, one of the very attractive things about it was that it was such a wide-open set of grounds. Oh, yes. So much opportunity to be done here with gatherings, with the ability to bring the diocese together. Yes. There just aren't pieces of property, raw or otherwise, that you can get in roughly central Orange County to be able to to centralize what we do. Yeah, and where it is is really significant, as you said, central Orange County, right here in the center of things, freeway accessible just an incredibly perfect location. Yeah, you couldn't have organized it better. You're within, what, a half a mile of the entrance to the 5, the 55, and... and 57, 57, yes. And the 91 freeway is only about two miles north or something. And the 22 freeway. And the 22 freeway is right. Yeah, that's true. On the back bottom part uh-huh. here, there just aren't too many ways. If If you wanted to go down to southern Orange County or you wanted to go up to northern Orange County, you're you're not very far away. Con- Contrary-wise, we're not far from them either. Exactly, which is great. Yeah. So in the process of doing this, what has that meant to your life? Because you were in the process of, of training priests. Training's the wrong term. Mentoring priests. Well, mentoring priests, taking care of the priests. I was regard, um, responsible for their, their ongoing formation spiritually and intellectually, but also if a priest got sick, make sure he had the right care. If you had a problem, make sure he got the right counseling he needed, whatever it might be. I was kind of like the priest for the priests. Okay. And I was in my second term. That had never happened before. Um, the people before me, vicars for priests. They, they liked you. They served <laughs> one term or some didn't even serve the full term. Wow. It's a, it's a pretty I would think so. uh, intense position. Uh, without in any way going into details, that has to be a not only a very personally um, taxing position for you, all the skeletons are buried there, for lack of a better term. Yes. That's, that's quite a position to have. No wonder Bishop Todd had faith 
and at least your ability to keep your mouth closed. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. But your overall ability to, to keep it together, because that's got to be all the problems that a priest are going to have are eventually going to come to that office. Yes, that's exactly right. So uh, it was, and I loved it. I, I the priest, I Bishop Brown asked if I would be willing to serve a second term in that, and I said, yes, if the priests want me to. That position, the priests do put their input wow. who they want to do it. And so the priest said yes, and so I was in it. And I said, <laughs> I didn't know what I was saying. I said, yeah, I'll do a second term as long as I can leave the position. If something else comes up that I would like to do, well, I never thought that what would come up would be, <laughs> would be Christ's cathedral. You were wise enough to put that in there, though. You yeah. know, on a, such a more, much more micro scale, it reminds me of, I had the, the privilege of being able to serve in high schools, and I was a campus minister, and then they made me the dean of students. So I went from good cop to bad cop. So yes, <laughs> here, yeah, you were you were good cop. I you, was good cop. You, you were you were like the campus minister for all uh-huh. the priests. Exactly, that, I was their advocate. Yeah, mm-hmm. very very cool. Yeah. So how has that transitioned to being a pastor here? You get to be everyone's advocate for for a parish. Well, the good thing is that before I was vicar for priests. I was a pastor of St. Joseph Church in Santa Ana for 15 years. It's a nice parish, too. So uh, I loved being in that parish. Um, you know, it was the poorest part of Orange County and, the, yeah. and some of the richest. It was a very mixed congregation, and, and all. it's where I learned how to speak Spanish. Very rough neighborhoods, a lot of gang activity, um, and then a lot of other, other positive realities going on. So... That position gave me a lot of uh, of experience. And before that, I was the director of the Religious Education Office for the Diocese of Orange. So I already had an experience of administering an office here at the diocese, too. Okay. So I had a bunch of different experiences. You know, I've looked at life a lot in the sense that I really believe that the things that we do before prepare us for the next thing that we're going to do. And in my case, that's really true. All the assignments I have had before, I truly believe prepared me for what I've been doing at Christ Cathedral for the last 10 years. That should scare you now. It should really scare you now because you have no idea what God is going to be calling you to, do you? No. Because when no. priests retire, that doesn't. That all that means, to my understanding, is all that means is you no longer have an officially assigned job, but you can still be as active as you choose to be in ministry. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I tell people I'm not resigning from being a priest. I'm resigning from being the rector of Christ Cathedral. I'm resigning from the responsibilities of administrating and pastoring the place. So there, there are certain privileges and authorities that you're giving up on that, but you still have... You're going to be emeritus, essentially. You're going to I am able, emeritus, yes. You're, you're going to end up being able to talk to the people that are there. You're, mm-hmm. when, when you have that title emeritus, it's kind of an official way of saying, okay, you can still hang around, and we're going to drill into your brain to find out what did you know, how did you work, yes. how did that go before, because we don't want to reinvent the wheel. You've got some wisdom that you can impart. Exactly. So with that in mind... Are you looking forward to this transition finalizing, or is this something that is more bitter than sweet? No, I think it's more sweet than bitter. The part of it that is will be hard for me to give up is I will not have the say in things or the input in things that goes with the authority that I've had in the past. Yeah. So that part will be hard for me, uh, and that's been the great part of 
what I've been able to do. Having been, again, on a very small scale, I was a principal for a while. Once you give that up, there is a, a point in there where you're kind of the fire horse ready to go. Then you begin to realize there's a privilege in not having to make that decision. Well, I hope that's it. <laughs> so I'll, I'll, ta- I'll take that to heart. Well, and oh. there's plenty of challenges that go with this and that I faced over these years, too, So, yeah. which I'm happy not to have in front of me. Right, yeah, because when you have... There are lawsuits, there's always someone who's unhappy, and there's usually a parent group somewhere who's going to cause some sort of an issue. All right. So in this case, we're in the process then of transitioning. Your successor's name is Father Father Bautai. And Father Bautai, he starts when? July 1st. When we come back, Father, I want to ask you about the things you're still looking forward to in the official time you have left, and then, of course, where you, you believe the parish is going. Sure. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today is the very Reverend Christopher Smith, who is the rector of Christ Cathedral and is in the process of transitioning. And it's been kind of funny because, as we've been saying, uh, when he took over this position, it was kind of a position of transition. And now he's transitioning at the end of that transition. When we come back, we're going to talk about where we go from here. And so with that in mind, thank you. And we will be right back. Welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio, coming to you high atop the Tower of Hope from the beautiful campus of Christ Cathedral, where Catholic faith is crystal clear. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today is the very Reverend Father Christopher Smith, who is the rector of Christ Cathedral Parish. And we have been talking, Father, about your tenure here since really 2012, so about 10 years, and that it is... I guess the term coming to an end is, is too strong a term because you're going to be emeritus, but it is transitioning to a very different role for you in a couple of months. And that role is going to be to take a step back, and we're going to have new leadership. But we still have some things that are happening here on campus over the next couple of months. And then the campus is still – it kind of reminds me of uh, commencement ceremonies when someone graduates. The word commencement means to begin. So this is kind of um, – well, everything now is, is battened down. We survived the plague. We're now in process of, of blooming. So what are you looking forward to these next few weeks and then the next several months? Well, I need to say in terms of the transition, so to speak, that uh, when I started here in the first uh, four years, um, little, I guess a little over three years, Father Twin Nguyen was actually the pastor, he ran the parish. I did not run the parish. I was responsible for the cathedral church and the overall campus. Okay. I was r- called Episcopal Vicar and Rector. He was the vice rector. Okay. So in 2016 is when I actually took on the responsibilities of also okay. running the parish. And that's when I really got to know the You're doing the really parish. good. Here, have some more. <laughs> well, it's, it's kind of like that. It's kind of like that. Yeah. So I've been able to, you know, hopefully uh, to do some good pastoral work here at Christ Cathedral. It's a very diverse uh, parish, very large parish. We have huge numbers that come to Mass every Sunday. We have grown into a place where on a Saturday, for example, we have three regular Masses, one in the morning and the two afternoon Masses anticipating Sunday. But in addition to those three, we have eight slots on Saturday 
for different things, for marriages, funerals, weddings, quinceañeras, baptisms, because we have multiple venues here. We have the cathedral, we have the arboretum, chapel in the sky. So on some Saturdays, we have 11 different ceremonies that have happened. (laughs) And that takes a lot of navigating. And we don't, the priests here, we don't do all of them, but we do a lot of it, and the deacons. So... The good news is that the parish, I believe, is really flourishing, and and I'm very happy about that. So w- what I hope to do is to get a, a good sense of the parish to Father Bao, who comes in. Um, one thing I've learned in my experience uh, in our church, a uh, beloved church, is we don't do a good job of um, giving people orientation to new positions, especially oh, priests. Okay. A lot of times, <laughs> you know, you're the new pastor, and you come in, and you've never really sat down with the other pastor. Yeah. So I'm trying to do a good uh, orientation with Father Bao okay. that, that will help him. So you've had multiple meetings with him and planned multiple more. Well, I haven't had multiple yet, but I've had a couple, and I will have some more with him. And then I need okay. to chat out with him how he'd like me to still help him. That's very Because true. he has said he would like me to continue to help as the rector emeritus. And, and, and this is it's going to be his call as to how that's going to be. Yes, it will be his call and my call as to whether or not I can. So. Well, and there is, I know enough about transitions at schools that it is usually an important thing for the former principal to take a pretty big step back, even if it's a very friendly transition, so that if it's a retirement, for example, to allow the new leadership to be able to establish themselves is going to be, that's going to be a hard thing to do, isn't it? I mean, to be honest with you, from an emotional level, from a personal level, that's going to be hard. Oh, yeah, that is a hard thing to do, except I do recognize the value in doing it so that it's a part of your ministry to do exactly that's right so what is coming up Uh, i know for example we have one of the last things one of the most important things i know at least to bishop van's heart very important to him he plays the organ is this hazel wright organ that is being installed we've done a couple of shows on it tell us about what's happening there well the hazel wright pipe organ in the cathedral as you may know, is uh, the fourth largest church pipe organ in the world. And uh, you've talked about it on the show before, 18,000 pipes and fell into disrepair. And it's really a combination of three pipe organs and primarily built in Italy. We sent it back to Italy. They refurbished pipes, built new ones, came back here, reinstalled it, tuned it, voiced it, and it's all finished. It's all ready to go. <laughs> yes. And okay. we, we got set back by about... Almost two years, though, because of the pandemic. Sure. So we only just started using it for services a couple months ago. Okay. So when you walk into Christ Cathedral and you go into the, the cathedral itself for a Sunday service, you're hearing the actual organ. You're not hearing some sort of a substitute. No. You, you hear the actual Hazel Wright organ. Uh, we had a beautiful uh, Walker digital organ yeah. that we uh, rented, which was magnificent. Mm-hmm. However, e- the people... They said, that sounds like a pipe organ to me. I said, wait till you hear the real thing. <laughs> and there's nothing like the real thing, especially this one. And the people really have noticed it. When I was in seminary as a Presbyterian before I became a long story, but anyway, I, I wasn't Catholic growing up. When I was in seminary, I took a course from the Kapellmeister there. It was a, a Presbyterian seminary. So it was a nice smaller chapel than what the, the cathedral building is. But the course was on Bach as biblical interpreter, and it was mostly sitting in the chapel listening to him play the Orgel Buchlein and a few other things. 
he was explaining how the organ and the building are one. And when they put the organ in, when they designed the organ to put it in, the whole resonating chamber is the building. So that an organ is made for the building. That's true here, too, in the end, isn't it? It is true here, yes. The whole building then becomes part of the organ. Yes, and one of the the things that we had to take great care with is because the organ was was put in the crystal cathedral in the that configuration. It is different now. Yes. The, the The building is the same in terms of its the outside frames structure. and the glass. However, the inside is completely different because we've hung 11,000 hanging sails from that glass to control the sunlight. They call the quatrefoils. The quatrefoils. We've put in a stone wall around the perimeter of the, of the worship space. So none of those hard surfaces were there right. when the Hazelwright organ was put in. So one of the, I suppose, risks involved was to see how would it work in its new environment. And how would we have to to uh, tweak it in terms of its voicing yeah. in order to have it work with the environment? And it works beautifully. You, it's interesting, too, because when they're doing the voicing, we had some of the people on a month or so ago who were doing some of that. There's a difference in how the organ's going to sound in an empty church versus when it's filled with people. That's right. And so the quatrefoils are important, but so, too, is the actual... When all the people are there soaking up the sound, so to speak. That's right, exactly. It, it, there, there's a mellowing, but there's it's a difference. The, yes. The, the, what you sometimes would count on for the for the echoes are going to echo differently, and all of that is attuned in this worship space. Yes. So if we're looking forward to hearing this, what's coming up in the next uh, short periods of time? Well, right now we're working on two events relative to the pipe organ. One is the blessing of the pipe organ and then the dedication of the pipe organ. You're not going to have Bishop spread all that oil all over the pipe organ like he did. No, he will not spread oil. He will not (laughs) even... Oil away for the Bishop for that. He had a lot of fun with it. I know he did. Well, he won't even (laughs) sprinkle water. Oh, good. That's another thing he won't do. We just talked about that the other day. There'll be incense. That will be what we'll use as the symbol of blessing. Well, he take a little bit. (laughs) No, we we don't want any holy oil near Bishop Dan. No. You know, when we write up, because uh, he's going to transition someday, too, yeah. that's going to be one. Yeah, <laughs> There's going to be a big picture of him smearing yeah. oil everywhere. Oh, I know. I know. Well, he's an organist himself, so yes. he'll appreciate it, the, not not doing anything like that. So we have a committee right now going, which I am chairing, that is working on the blessing event and the dedication. The blessing is going to be on June 10th, and uh, it's going to be open to the public. And one of the features of the blessing is we will have the organist for the Vatican there. Oh, wow. And it, it happens that we found out he was going to be in town a weekend in June. We found out what weekend it was, if he would be available to be there, and he is. And so that's why we set the date for I'll June. I'll bet he's got a pretty good organ, too. I bet he does. <laughs> yes. This will be a great privilege for him to not only witness it, I assume... At some point in there, you're going to allow him to mount the organ. Oh, he'll play it that he'll day. He'll play it that day. In that fact, day. Um, I may play it that day, wow. too, because I, I'm an organist. Oh, so I didn't know that about you. I knew that about Bishop. Yeah. So How, how much of an organist are you? Uh, well, I used to be okay, but I haven't really practiced the craft ever since I've been a priest. Wow. Uh, I, w- I was actually, when I was in high school, I was one of the organists at Holy Family, which was the first cathedral wow. of the diocese. I learned how to play when I was about seventh grade. I played the piano before that. Yeah. But playing a pipe organ is 
very different. Very different. And playing the Hazel Wright pipe oh, organ. <laughs> I took eight years of classical piano. When I took that course I, I mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, and then I watched him play, you play with, with, with a couple of sets of keyboards and feet In keyboards. your feet, yes. And it's like, how do you, I mean, oh, my goodness. You're, and yeah. you really are playing the keyboard with your feet. You really Along are. With, it really is. It's yeah. like you're three people at once doing and, all this And stuff. then you have to know how to do the registrations, which are the combination of stops that you open to, to create the different sounds. And that the Hazel Wright has such a wide variety of sounds. You, It sounds like you're playing violins. It sounds like yes. you're playing different woodwind instruments. It, it, it's like a whole orchestra, a symphony. That well, that's why they call the pipe organ the king of instruments, because it is like a, a, an orchestra. And the, the blessing event on the 10th will be uh, kind of a simple event and uh, of blessing talk and things like that. And then in September, we will launch the uh, dedication year events, which will involve uh, some recitals, concerts with world-class organists. Wow. Yes. And uh, we even hope at some point toward the end of the dedication year, we'll have the Pacific Symphony here. With the Hazel Wright pipe organ, so we have, we have a lot of exciting events that they're not set in stone yet, but we're working on them. So for the upcoming events that are happening, you're going to be an important part of that too, as part of your your tenure, at least for the blessing part. The other part's coming up after your tenure officially comes to a close as the rector here. Is this kind of the a capstone event for you? This the Hazel Wright organ and well, its dedication. Well, it, it it kind of is, yes. But there'll be more after that because this is a major one. Because I'll continue to have some involvement in the dedication events too, um, as rector emeritus. And what the bishop also named me <laughs> is Episcopal vicar for special projects. Oh, other duties as a side. I'm yes. so sorry, yes. Father. <laughs> Bishop got yeah. you. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So w- w- what so, kinds of things do, do you have that are percolating? Well, there's two major ones. One is the completion of the chapel in the undercroft or the lower level of the cathedral. It's going to be called the St. Callistus Chapel. Okay. It's been part of the plan since the beginning. We didn't have enough money to complete it uh, in the first phase of the cathedral renovation. You hear we, all that, listeners. We need more money. Go yes. Ahead. Well, we've, <laughs> we've roughed out the whole area where it's going to be. Okay. There'll also be a, an area for uh, bishops' crypts so that okay. the bishops in Orange can have a place to be interred. That's very traditional in, in Catholic cathedrals. So the bishop has asked me to oversee that project, uh, which I've started. So the Callistus Chapel is going to be basically... Uh, like a daily type chapel? That Could be. Something like that. It'd be a hold about 200 people. We'll have area devotional chapels um, on either side, that sort of thing. I remember going to the Basilica in Washington, D.C., and underneath they have mm-hmm. that beautiful crypt church down there. Yes. And they have then side chapels. Is that kind of kind a smaller of like scale, that. Mm-hmm. similar to that? Yes, on a and, smaller scale. And then theoretically they have mm-hmm. a ability to also encrypt people there, too. I think they've got one or two. That are there. You're looking at actually having kind of a, all the bishops have the ability to yes, be yes, and nothing huge because we already have a cemetery and yeah. we just built a beautiful mausoleum. So most cathedrals don't have that. <laughs> so it sounds like there's a lot of things that are going on still. When we come back, I want to get a little more personal and a little more homiletic because I know that for our listening audience, our guest has been deeply involved in preaching beautifully. Be embarrassed by that comment if he wants to, but beautiful homilies 
for many, many years. I want to get into that a little. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. With me today is the very Reverend Christopher Smith, the rector and soon-to-be rector emeritus of the of Christ Cathedral campus. And we will be right back. back to Orange County Catholic Radio. With me today is the very Reverend Christopher Smith, and we have been talking to uh, our illustrious rector of the of the cathedral here about the transition that has been going on, both transitions really, the last seven, eight, nine years of actually creating this as the new headquarters center of the diocese where it could be a life center for all of its ministries and that has been under your purview uh father but now we're going through a different kind of a transition where you're in the process of leaving the responsibility part of what you've been doing where you will now be emeritus in a couple of months but that doesn't mean everything is going to change i know that you've also had your own program here that you do it's called something about cathedral square what was it what was it called again <laughs> that is what it's called cathedral square and cathedral square has usually some discussion and then a homily yes my understanding is you have given some pretty good homilies in your life and you've had a few people say that people do recognize that you do well with your homilies one of the things that i have had the privilege of noting in my private world coming out of seminary is some of the problems that the Catholic clergy has had in homiletic formation. Mm-hmm. So my question for you is, what do you do? I won't say it's different, but what do you do that's that goes right in your homily formation? Let's pretend for a moment that some brand new baby priests or seminarians yes. are listening in, what would you want them to know about how you go about talking the gospel message of the day to the people who are listening as they come in for Sunday? The first thing I would do is to help them understand what a homily is exactly, because it is its own distinct medium, different than anything else. It's not a lecture. It's not a class. It's not a sermon. It's not an appeal. It's none of those. And I actually, uh, I teach homiletics to the uh, the deacon candidates. And it's always eye-opening to my students that there really is a specific definition for what a homily is because, well, in this case, uh, those men are used to giving reflections, like in the prison and things like that. And I say, it's not a reflection either. So what the first thing I would say to a priest is uh, a homily is three things. A homily is discerning what the Lord has to say, and you do that through the scripture readings, the feast, the what's happening in the parish, the world, those things. Discerning what the Lord has to say, illustrating it for the people. So you discern what the Lord has to say in a way that's going to speak to the people and in the name of the church. So you're never doing this on your own. You're always preaching in the name of the church. So you need to be Faithful to the teachings of the church, you have to have uh, accurate theology. Mm-hmm. So those three things, discerning what the Lord has to say, illustrating it for the people in the name of the church. If 
priests could just remember those three elements when they're preparing a homily, it would make a huge difference. But then I go a step further, and I say, once you have discerned what the Lord has to say, part of discerning that for the people is to figure out what I call the pearl. What is your one pearl? And the terminology of the pearl, I didn't make up myself. I got that from Bishop uh, Ken Untner, who was an excellent preacher. And he talked about finding the pearl. And just one pearl, not a pearl necklace, <laughs> not, not a, a bunch of, of pearls, but yeah. one. And And what is a pearl? The pearl is the central idea of the homily put in an image or a phrase that will touch hearts that people can take home with them. Most homilies tend to be more teachy than inspiring. And the inspiration wow, part... That's an, that's an important distinction. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For example, um, this past Sunday, it's Good Shepherd Sunday, okay? And the, Jesus the Good Shepherd, okay? Sure. So somebody could say, well, the central idea of the homily is to call upon Jesus, our Good Shepherd, every day. Well, that's not all that inspiring in itself. Of course, truthful. we all know it. It's <laughs> yes, truthful, that's of course. Yeah. That's Yeah. However, the pearl that I found from this uh, year's passage of the gospel when Jesus says that not one of my sheep will be snatched from the Father's hand. So I talked about God's protection, that God protects us and we in turn need to be protectors of each other. So I use that image of protecting and protector, gave examples of how we can protect each other and how we can protect people we don't even know uh, in, you know, standing up for people's good names, protecting our children, for example, from from uh, social media and Internet that's damaging, you know, and then go a step further that, you know, you, your parents do have a right to know what your kids are watching on their computers. They don't have any privacy till they're 18, you know, and to get so, into the specifics, the first uh, primary instructor of their yeah, children. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so the pearl was God's uh, God's protection. And hopefully that is what people will be, what people took with them from that homily. Are there techniques as well? I mean, when you're talking about what you just described, that's your your overall strategy for what you want to accomplish. What's the optimum time for most homilies? I mean, I realize you can have ones that go longer or shorter for the situation, but... What what I've learned and was taught is uh, the... uh, Kind of the optimal time frame for a Sunday homily would be seven to ten minutes. Seven to ten. Yes. Okay. And then, you know, maybe a wedding would be five. Okay. Three to five. And a baptism, the same. And a funeral might be a little bit longer. And I I unpack what each of those kinds of homilies are about, too. But the homily is always going to have that central pearl in it. Mm -hmm. And it's going to have your three... Primary foci. Yeah, are again. remembering that it's discerning what the Lord has to say, illustrating it for the people in the name of the church. So, kind of your, your exegesis, but it's not just of the of the scriptures. It's no. of the situation too. Exactly. And then how that situation speaks to the people in their setting. Yes. So that includes now beginning to echo out there a little bit COVID, but all the other things that have come into our world, the yes. war and. Other things. Yes, I always talk about you've got to pay attention to what's going on in the world, and you have to mention it, because if you don't, they're going to think that you live in Mars or something, and they're not going to listen to you. For example, when, especially when this war in Ukraine started, 
if you preached on Sunday and that was never mentioned, yeah. you didn't preach very well. Right. Or whenever there's some major thing going on in the world, it has to be part of, it has to come in, in somehow. And, and one of the beautiful things about the Gospels is that the themes of the Gospel are in every single reading, no matter what the passage is, because they're all about Jesus. And Jesus of the Gospels is in all the Gospels. And I also do this, uh, what I've called, I put together, this is where I have great fun. Uh, it's more teaching for students, but I put together what's called the Christology of Preaching. The Christology of Preaching. <laughs> yeah, cr- uh, preaching. Christ of preaching. Yes. Christ is present in the, in the sermon, in the yeah. homily. Yeah, who is the Jesus of the Gospels? And I have a Christology that has about maybe 12 different points in it. And these points, they're always present somehow in, in all of the, in all of the scripture passages. Oh, so I, I do wish that you would get that out there even more. Not just yeah. in this, in this diocese, yeah. but, but elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Because there are times when I think most of us who are just lay people listening to the priest, we sometimes end up wondering, Father, is, is your theology the same as my theology sometimes? Yeah. The reality is, it is, but he didn't think to say it in the homily. Right. And we need to hear it. You need to hear it. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what the name of the in the name of the church part means that you need to have accurate and good theology that is uh, you know, uh, underpinning your homily itself. The main thing that I would put before a priest or a student is could what you have to say today move hearts. A homily is about moving hearts. It's about helping people, and I've said this even publicly, we don't come to church just to hang out in church all day. We come to church to leave and to bring the love of Jesus to the world. And a a good homily will help people be inspired and moved enough to to have a sense about how to do that. In seven to nine minutes, other than feeling the presence of Christ in the Eucharist, which of course is is a very, very important thing, You've got seven to nine minutes to make people glad they came to church. That's right. Well put. It's not just a Sunday obligation. At that moment, you have done the miraculous. You've turned it into a Sunday privilege. Yeah. And for a lot of people, that could be a miraculous thing. No, really. And I, I mean, and also to, you know, for a priest or a deacon, whoever's preaching, to look at what you're doing as a very privileged place. You know, who else gets to have kind of a captive audience, if you will, for seven to ten minutes? With authority. I mean, that's With authority. Mm-hmm. Which is a huge responsibility. I mean, it's a two-edged sword for the priest because it really is. They're listening to every word you say, and the majority are, are excuse the expression, counting it as gospel. Uh-huh. They are they are interpreting what you're saying as being this is what, what God is telling Yes, you. and they're also, I'm, I, have, I realize... Different people are hearing things differently, too. I'll bet that's interesting. When you stand at the end and you greet people on the way out to have someone say, Father, I really like when you said X, Y, and Z, and you're thinking, when did I say that? I know. Exactly. <laughs> well, the worst thing is when I'm standing out saying hello, and they said, well, that was a great homily, and I didn't give the homily. <laughs> 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 well, maybe they were in the back and they're a little nearsighted. <laughs> right, exactly. So, well, so people who are who have um, first of all, I, I can tell you that talking to you about this is very inspiring. I know that there are only a couple of locations in the country where priests who want to be further trained in homiletics really can go to a specialized place to do that. 
I know Dallas is in the process of putting something together. I know Notre Dame has had some stuff going on. To know that what you're doing is so so focused on training is very beautiful to hear. People can hear your homilies. If, uh, there's a whole bunch of them now that are on that are in podcast form if they go to Cathedral Square. Yes. So in order to do that, for those of you who are listening and haven't heard me sign off before, OCCatholic.com, go to the radio tab, and under the radio tab there are about eight or so shows there. Orange County Catholic Radio is one of them, but so too is the Cathedral Square. Yes. And you're going to have on there about a half hour of explanation and then the homily for either that week or from a week that's gone by. That's right. And it's been spruced up, too. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's the best. There's, yeah, there's a combo piece of some music from the cathedral and the homily. Um, and it's the last segment of every cathedral square. When we come back, Father, I want to ask you about what your hopes and dreams are of not only your ministry, but of where you see the ministry of Christ Cathedral and the Diocese of Orange going. Your wisdom is, I think, going to be very important. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today is the very Reverend Christopher Smith, who has been the rector and is currently the rector of Christ Cathedral, but he is in transition. We've got about another month and a half, two months, and he will be rector emeritus. When we come back, I want to ask him where he hopes the ministry goes from here. And we will be right back. Welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and with me today has been the very Reverend Christopher Smith, who leads the Christ Cathedral Parish, but is in transition and will be emeritus in another two months. Before we go any further, uh, Father, I want to thank you profusely for being here today sure, and for coming in, because I, I, at the end I will forget to do that. <laughs> and I thank you very much, not only for coming in, but for being so open and honest about where your head and heart has been. That can be hard to do, and I'm going to ask you to something harder here in just a second, and that is I'd like you to tell us what your hopes and dreams are for the future ministry here, uh, and that's not all cherry on top stuff. That's There's some tough stuff going on in our world. So what do you hope this ministry does in the wake of it all? Well, my hope is that the ministry here at Christ Cathedral itself leads to transformation, that it it can help people's lives to be new and different in very concrete and specific ways. Because as we all know, it is not easy to live a Catholic life in the world that we have. And as you know very well, there's a lot of competition out there. Uh, and I also direct a, a program for new pastors uh, for the California Catholic Conference of Bishops, Oh, wow. And so I just last week had 50 pastors here, Catholic, who were all new to the all right. job. <laughs> yeah. Administrators good. and pastors, they were in their second round here. I'm kind of curious, was there an interesting theme that came out of that, or, or did they say some things that surprised you this time? They didn't say things that surprised me. They said, actually, they said some things that inspired me, which I thought was really wonderful. Good. Because I found a group of men who's who were uh, very dedicated to their ministry. They were open to learning. You know, the interesting thing now is that uh, pastors are much younger 
or much uh, fewer years ordained when they become pastors than they were even when I was made a pastor. Is that because we're having a dearth of, of vocations? Yes, okay. it, that's the reason why. And the and I've I've directed this program for ten years, so the <laughs> the groups keep getting younger. Okay. And what I've noticed though is in many ways. There's a, an openness to learning because some of these guys are still learning how to be priests, yeah. you know, let alone how to be a, a pastor sure. in that leadership position. So I find them very That's inspiring. That's an interesting statement. Let's, let's not leave that just yet. Learning how to be priests. This is something that's interesting. It's a whole different lifestyle, really, than what a lot of people think, isn't it? Oh, it's a, yeah, it's a very different lifestyle. Not only is it a, a different lifestyle, but pastoral ministry in my wording is a craft. It's just not, there's just not a cookie cutter way to apply the gospel teachings and the teachings of the church to people's lives. It's a real craft that I've learned over the years. And I think the best, most effective priests learn the craft of pastoral ministry over the, over the years. So do you uh, sometimes wish that some of the distractions could be eliminated? So you just stay with the people part of the craft? Who fixes the roof really isn't as important as whether or not you're fixing people's souls. Oh, I do wish some of that could be eliminated for sure. Not eliminated. You have to have it. Yeah. But that it could be balanced better so that, you know, because, again, you know, just talking about these new pastors. And one of the things I do at the beginning, I say, okay, guys, think about this. Since the last time we met, what's one thing you've accomplished that you are proud of? What have you noticed about your parish that you didn't notice when we got together before and what has surprised you? Ah. That's always interesting to listen to what they have to say. But a lot of them talk about just what you said. Oh my gosh, we got a new roof, you know, <laughs> you know, that, that kind of thing. It could be overwhelming. I, uh-huh. and I, I'll say this as a layperson who was a principal. My first week there, there were some problems with the parish. And it's like, I remember I called the superintendent and the superintendent said, Richard, you knew the iron was hot when you picked it up. <laughs> that's got to be very similar to how these pastors feel when they yeah. go in for the first time and they realize, oh my gosh, I have, I've got, they're, they're throwing spears at me. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> that's coming from the choir. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and I was, I was thinking about the new pastors back to the original point about a hope for the ministry here at Christ Cathedral and wanting to be a ministry that helps people's lives to be new and different. I was saying over this workshop with the priests that there was a time when the church spoke and everybody listened. That's not where we are now. You can't just say something and think people are going to listen or even care. Well, they'll dox your house and or protest. Or whatever, you know. Yeah. That old commercial, you know, when Dean Witter speaks, everybody listens, <laughs> that sort of thing. Yeah. So we've got to do more than just talk. We have to be, we can't just be making pronouncements all the time. And so we have to put into practice the principles of the new evangelization, you know, to, to have a new enthusiasm for what we're doing, to have a newness of expression and a newness of method. I hope that that kind of approach to ministry continues here at Christ the Cathedral because if we can stand out here in the cathedral and, and, and in our other parishes as centers of evangelization, if you will, or centers that really help people to see how to navigate their lives in the midst of all the competing voices, I think we will have done something wonderful. And all of it has to do ultimately, as Pope Benedict XVI wrote in his first encyclical, Deus Caritas Est, 
that which means God is love. He quotes John, first letter of John, chapter four, which says, we have come to believe that we are first loved by God. And Pope Benedict said, when you really believe that, then that changes the whole course of your life. In other words, you don't have any other options about how you're going to live. So if we can help people really believe, you know, that we are loved by God, we will be instruments of peace and transformation in the world. You're really talking about transitioning people from being, oh, citizens with a Catholic overlay to being Catholics who happen to live as citizens. <laughs> that's beautifully put. Yes. So yes. how do we transition? And that's where you're going. Yes. And that's where your homilies are, where they're focused. What's the pearl? Well, it's focused on Jesus Christ because you did the hard work of asking the question, what is God saying to these people? Mm-hmm. So if you're looking at one hope for Christ Cathedral Parish, how would you summarize that hope for the parish? I would hope that the parish continues to grow in its unity as a parish because as uh, Jesus prayed for unity in John's gospel, one one, yeah. yes, and the, the unity that we have is the credible witness to the world that Jesus is who he said he is, the Son of God. And so our unity as a parish is very important along those lines. And also, I would hope that Christ Cathedral Parish recognizes and continues to to grow into the specific, unique role of being a cathedral parish. Because it's not like being any other parish. It doesn't mean it's better. It just means it's different. Because there are times when you actually are just ministering to the people who happen to live within the cathedral bounds, and you have to take care of their needs as a regular parish. But you are also, in so many ways, a parish to the parish is like you being a priest to the priests. Yes. a way of trying to say, here's your model. Uh Do, Do what we do. Do it your own way. But do what yeah. we do, and you will do well. Exactly. Wow. Yes. Father, I want to thank you so very much again for coming in today and for sharing with us. You are on your way to doing different things. Interesting. You're not retiring from the priesthood. No. You're retiring from being rector here. Yes. Anything else that you're looking forward to personally? Well, there's two things. One, on the campus, I'm looking forward to continuing to uh uh, develop a new outreach center um, for the parish. Uh, we've been doing our outreach ministry from an old house on the campus that's falling apart. And so we want to repurpose a former utility building up uh, by Gate 5 and Lewis Street in the campus into a outreach center, not only that will hopefully, that will continue our food distribution and, and helping uh, people in need and you know, some material ways, but also I'd like to have a, some professionals there that can help people to find housing and to find jobs and things like that. So a real community center. Uh, yes. For information to solve people's problems. Yeah. Help empower them to solve people's yes. problems. Yes. And, and I'd like to partner with other agencies to help that happen. I'd like to see that happen. And Bishop, uh, and I've talked to the new rector too about this, uh, would oh, like oh. to see me you know, continue to, to help that to happen. Oh, that would be good. And then the other thing, really personal, is I love giving uh, parish missions and retreats and all that kind of stuff. And I used to do a lot of it, but I haven't done a lot in these years. So I can't wait for the opportunity to be available for that kind of stuff without the pressure of thinking, that's taking me from all the time I need to spend on all this other stuff. You're looking so. <laughs> forward to being able to enjoy 
creating homilies. <laughs> well, that's that's really probably it, ultimately it because the mission talk hasn't expanded. <laughs> you know, it really so, is, uh-huh. but it, sort of, sort, sort of, of, sort of, yeah. Wow. So if people are interested, they can go to OCCatholic.com, which for those people who are interested in hearing this broadcast again, they can. They would just go to Orange County Catholic Radio for this. But if they want to hear your homilies, if they want to hear you some more and talk about specific topics, then go to Cathedral Square under that, that tab. Father, again, thank you for being here. Would you be so kind as to lead us in a word of prayer and a final blessing for our listening audience? Of course. And we are grateful, loving God, for this time together. In all that we do, in all that we say, we desire to give you glory and praise. And so we say, glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit come upon you and stay with you forever. Amen. Amen. You have been listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. And with me today is the very Reverend Christopher Smith, who is the rector for the Christ Cathedral Campus and soon to be the Emeritus Rector. And we thank him very much for coming today. If you would like to hear more from Father Chris, he plans to continue uh, working with his Cathedral Square. But if you'd like to hear some of those homilies You can hear them by going to OCCatholic.com, go to the radio tab, and then you can go to those eight or so different uh, programs that are there, and you can listen to him on Cathedral Square. And if you would like to hear this broadcast again, you can do so by going to that same radio tab and going to Orange County Catholic Radio. And again, on behalf of all of us here, we thank you for listening, and we ask you please to come back again next week, and we will talk more about Christ here at Christ Cathedral on the Tower of Hope and Catholic faith as it comes to you through Orange County Catholic Radio. Thank you for listening, and we will see you again next week.